Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. The Quilt of Bananas program plays every Sunday, 10 to 11am, with news, views and music. A collective of presenters, advertisers, community events and discusses news of interest to lesbians, queer women and non-binary folk. We have interviews about past and future sports and cultural events, politics, films, art shows. The programme is sponsored through the generosity of the Rural Foundation. And it plays every Sunday from 10 to 11am on Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM. Joining us today for today's uh, Quarter Bananas program on Access Radio 106.1 FM, your weekly coverage of news, politics, activities, interviews and music for queer women and non-binary folk. Um, in the studio today is Sue and me, Fiona. Um, we'd like to say again a big thank you to the Royal Foundation, which has kindly come on board as our sponsor for this financial year. Uh, but uh, today in the studio we have Jean Sargent and Felix Crossley Pritchard from the cast of Here, a new play which is starting on 9th of October at Circa Theatre. Hi. Good morning. Um, But first I think we're going to have some music just before we get into all the talking. Sue hopefully is going to give me a nod very shortly. Sue will push the button and fire up the player and we will have... Except I forgot forgot to fire up the uh, PC one. So, this time maybe. Um, I think I had to see her never give up. And I think that's um, possibly mm-hmm. appropriate for this. <laughs> yes.
And who was that, Sue? That was Sia and Never Give Up. Right. And as mentioned before, we have Jean Sargent and Felix Crossley Pritchard from the cast of Here, a new play which is starting on 9th of October at Circa Theatre. So, Jean, um, you're an old hand here. You've been yeah. here previously. We were just talking about that. You were here previously. So, tell us a bit about Here. So, uh, Here is another show that uh, has kind of suffered and then actually benefited from the the lockdown. We were programmed for last year at Circuit last May, which is a lifetime ago and yet also feels like maybe it was a week and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, and then we were reprogrammed for this year. So it is this feeling of kind of finally, here we are, it's happening, um, which is really, really exciting. I have sort of worked on the play here peripherally in the past. I wrote the Pantograph Punch um, program essay for the uh, season at Silo. It's a very um, interesting, complex play. It's a satire of the kind of 20th century American family drama, and it is holding a lot of really interesting social tensions in it. Uh, I might defer to Felix to talk more about the story. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I am on board with here as um, publicist and I've been working on it uh, with Kathy McRae for about two years now um, from when we first auditioned you. Would yeah. that be right, Felix? Yeah, that was where I first met you. Yeah. Actually. It's the, uh, the audition that started it all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this, the story of the play is such a roller coaster. Um, its four main players are: um, uh, you've got the mum and the dad, and the mum has completely taken over the household since the dad had a stroke. Um, and the brother comes home to this after being posted overseas um, in a war zone, and the house is just completely upturned, and he has to um, figure out all the safe stepping stones for him to get a grip on what's going on. Um, and then he's <laughs> blindsided by the uh, arrival of his younger sibling, who has uh, been in transition. Um, and all of this is carried through some beautiful writing that um, segues from comedy to darkness and back into comedy, and sometimes both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, <laughs> it's a very high energy, um, wonderful, wonderful show. It's a lot of fun to be rehearsing, and we're so excited to start next week. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful cast. The performances are just stunning. So Felix is playing Max, Drew MacArthur is playing Max's brother Isaac, um, <clears throat> and then the parents Paige and Arnold are played by Perry Piercy and Casey Kelly, and they are just giving such depth and richness and connection i've watched a couple of runs now and it's just electrifying to watch it yeah the 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 script is in very safe hands with the um with the cast and i think that the audience is in very safe hands with us as well because it's not a gentle play at all Mm. it's very intense it's Mm. very uh would you say it's violent i don't mean violent as in there's loads of physical violence i think it's more that it's just like it's kind of an assault Yeah, it's quite chaotic. It Mm. can feel violent when you're not sure if you're following everything. Yeah. Um, But it is nicely resolved in that you get the answers to your questions throughout the play. Yeah, that's definitely true. Mm. And am I right in thinking that before Isaac went off to um, the army or the war, Mm. was it, um, that the father was quite abusive before he had this Mm. joke? Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the main themes of the show and one of the things that most attracted the director, Kathy McRae, to it is this kind of toppling of the patriarchy that happens in this one space. So it's that um, where this incredibly abusive father, uh, when he is kind of um, laid down by, by illness, that in this one world, Paige is able to kind of control and, and take over. Um, but it goes from a toxic patriarchy to a toxic matriarchy. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but it's the, it, it kind of feels like it's the only thing that could have happened in this family because the extent of his tyranny over his family was such that it was never going to be, right, and now we'll escape this into a kind of squeaky clean paradise. The world, the paradigm of that family is so fixed that it can kind of only be um, more in different types of disruption. Yeah. Mm. And is it partly about the family's acceptance of the transition of the younger sibling as well? I would say it kind of isn't, eh? I, yeah, I, I don't know if that's the... I mean, there is a wonderful partnership that we see between Max and Paige, um, Paige is definitely Max's number one fan. But and Paige is the mother? Yes. yes. Right. Um, it, it could be something to do with the fact that Max doesn't have um, access to a lot of friends mm. and Z is quite isolated. Um, but nonetheless, there there is um, a wonderful start to uh, the play with that relationship coming yeah. up. You see that they're really on each other's team. Yeah, I guess it's it's not... I, I think the reason why I said it isn't about that is because... The acceptance of Max's identity isn't the kind of the plot. Max is Max. And Isaac's uh, acceptance, maybe, understanding, mm. maybe, um, coming to grips with, maybe, of Max is important to Isaac. But actually what Isaac, what is happening is Isaac is coming home to a home where Max is the light, where being trans is the big thing in the house it's the like it's the the celebration of the family mm. um whether or not arnold the father has anything at all to say about his youngest child's gender or sexuality who could care because he doesn't matter anymore he's just a lump on the on the chair so there's some there's some imagery and some some content in there that is quite alarming, I think, for queer audiences because, I mean, the way that Max transitions is super dangerous, but it's, um, it's, touch, it's a touchstone in time of the kinds of uh, hoops that trans people and non-binary people have had to jump through to affirm their genders. Um, yeah, so there's certainly no reliable medical information no. in here. <laughs> and we very much hope that nobody goes, mm, okay, I'll Google how to get any of this. Yeah. yeah. But I think for, for us in Aotearoa now, it's a really, really interesting um, point of comparison because we have the uh, BDMRR bill in conversation at the moment. And, you know, for a character like... Max, for a person like Max, that ability to self-identify is, I mean, would Max even imagine living in a world where Z could just like go into DIA and go, this is who I am, 
<laughs> yeah. Max definitely dreams of it. Yeah. I don't know if he would believe it. Yeah. <laughs> so what period is it set in? It was written about 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's contemporary-ish America. And I think what we all um, appreciate as queer people is that, like, our communities advance the social discourse incredibly quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all, or maybe not all of us, but we're, for the most part, kind of really engaged and interested in uh, new discourse around gender and sexuality, Mm. whereas perhaps a little bit like how academia is usually about 10 years behind some Times the entertainment industry is also really, really far behind. But it's an interesting piece in that it's it has a trans character and it's written by a trans person. And this is ten years ago, and it still feels like why is why are there so few options of scripts like that? Yeah. So and it's also played by a trans person. Yeah. Which is yeah. What important I think. Incredibly to, important. Yeah. Mm. Um, you get a lot of, lot of queer people generally played by somebody who isn't, and and it just never quite rings right, does it? Yeah, um, yeah. Because that that experience isn't um, entirely captured. Mm. Um, the um, to be fair, I haven't been working in the industry uh, <laughs> for very long at all. But um, yeah, this show was my first experience of auditioning for a trans character as a trans person. Um, and that's incredibly, incredibly um, validating and um, uplifting. I think it's a it's a great show to be kicking off into the world with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think. Um, so, when did you have it ready to go last year? So, so. It would have been on in May last May, year. Yeah. So, we would have been starting rehearsals uh, just a couple of weeks into oh. the lockdown. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking that one, you know, given that a ten year period is mm. in many ways quite a long time for that 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 sort of extended that out by a year. Um, so so there's those those changes are probably imperceptible over that time, but it's also come into a setting where we're currently doing where there's a lot of where there is a lot of discourse and current um and that's current and accessible right now um because the discourse around um around queer people generally and around around trans people is out there on display in those um mm. in those things and I think for me that took me by surprise because you know you sort of you sort of live in a world where where that's not a thing and suddenly you're exposed to a world where it is yeah um, is it is it changing at all how your um, the experience of putting the the play on and how you're and in, in informing that at all? Uh, yeah, I would say definitely. Um, a large portion of the company are queer, um, and we sort of have a well, four of us at least have a group chat, which is called the Here uh, Fems and Them's, where we are sort of like. <laughs> Uh, keeping on top of some of the dramaturgical and um, uh, the way that we communicate with our audiences as well. Uh, For example, the content forecast for 
the show is very thoughtful and thought out and we actually updated it um, on advice from members of the community who came in and watched watched a run of the show um, and it's that community engagement that is so so important because I'm a queer femme I've done loads of work youth work with young queer people I make queer ballets but I am not the all-seeing eye of the trans and non-binary experience. So as much as one queer person like myself might be like, I think I'm doing a really good job, it's also incredibly important for those of us who do think we're doing a really good job to just check, to just check with people that what we're doing affects and make sure that we couldn't be doing it better or doing it differently. Um, and it's also, I think, about about trust um, as a queer person in the community and in the performing arts community, uh, I want to be able to be trusted um, and to be trusted, especially uh, by younger trans and non-binary performers who I feel very passionately need to have more access to the performing arts, to actually being a performer. Um, yeah, I don't want to do anything that would undermine that, that trust. Um, so yeah, community consultation is a super, super important thing to us. Sometimes it's quite hard to organise that. For example, when a global pandemic uh, closes down your opportunity to have a community reading, and so you have to do that much later than you plan to. But um, yeah, that kind of the feedback and conversation is always really, really important to me. Yeah, what do you what do you kind of think, Felix? I, I also think that was really valuable. And there was um, a kind of silver lining to having, um, you know, that group welcomed in a little bit later in the rehearsal process because we had set up some building blocks and ideas around the show. And then they had that to work with, mm -hmm. um, you know, for giving them context and uh, understanding of, um, you know, the tones of the show. You know, what's written on the script may not necessarily come across as... Um, hilariously or as harshly as you read it in your head. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really valuable feedback. And it's, it's so wonderful just having an audience early on in the process so you can get some, you know, just get a feel for it and think, oh, you know, that was a laugh there. I hadn't thought about that being funny before. Um, yeah, no, you oh, get some oh, wonderful surprises. Oh, there was a deathly silence there. Whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can hear crickets. <laughs> but just that validation, though, of what you're mm. doing and how you're doing it, but also just the feedback on mm. back and forth, eh? Yeah. It must be really useful. Yeah. I think it's also important as artists presenting work to let people in communities that would be affected by the work know that we are open to hearing and to listening and not just to talking, not just to kind of talking over. Um, because, you know, as much as we can't control the script, we make a choice to to do the work and absolutely stand behind the work. I think it's an amazing, amazing text. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit body horror. It's a little bit um, like, yeah, family sort of... Uh, violence drama like there's a lot going going on in it but it's very very funny it's very moving and it it it's got some real intense catharsis in it as well yeah 
So, you know, it's, it's, it's art worth making, but as artists, I feel very strongly as an artist in the queer community, I need to be open to listening to responses from people in the queer community about the work that we're making. Mm. And you mentioned uh, the pandemic before, so um, I had a look on the circus site and I could th- see that it's obviously seating according to um, level two, yeah. but you're allowed to have 100. And there's a level one waiting list, which is really yeah. good. Yeah. Of course, we all hope that we'll get to level one very soon. Yeah. Who knows when? <laughs> but yeah. but it must be quite hard in some ways, I guess, juggling. You mentioned before about juggling it last year. And so this year, how, how have you kind of navigated those kind of level two kind of things? Well, when we were under Delta level two, which is 50 people capacity, we just wouldn't have been able to go ahead. Mm. Um, so the the conversation in the company was basically, let's just rehearse it like mm-hmm. we're going to put it on until yep. the very last moment when it becomes obvious that this isn't going to happen. Mm. And so then when the level two was changed to 100 it was like okay great we can go ahead with this but oh man I hope we get to level one because not only does it mean that we can have fuller audiences for here which by the way I would remind everybody and listeners that that is how we get paid (laughs) (laughs) um yeah (laughs) not only that but I've got another show programmed at Circa to open in late October live through this and we can only go ahead at level one we can't go ahead even under Mm-hmm. Um, the level two uh, with 100 people because, yeah, Circle One gets the priority, which I'm fine with because obviously here is my show as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I might play a song. Yeah, and, sounds good. And this is uh, one that was recommended by, or a group that was recommended by a friend um, from Glamophones, and it's Dateline, who's a New Zealand group, um, from Hawke's Bay stroke Auckland um, and they're thinking of doing some uh, some bigger recording projects but at the moment they've got a few on um, Spotify and so we have Don't Know What To Do With Me Have I got it on? Yes Not a lot happening here, is there?
Don't you love it when they do their own backing out? Oh, yes. <laughs> that's Dateline Watch for them um, coming out with a um, new recording at some stage. Fingers crossed. Um, I was just uh, in the, in the half time um, talking to Felix and Jean, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> about um, the. Um, I think I recall from last time that um, for the ballet you were bringing mm. bringing people to the stage who wouldn't normally have access to those to that environment, and this sounds like it's very similar sort of. Um, I think happening. yeah, I think that here has a, has the potential for a, for a similarity, um, in that the character of Max is quite young and so requires a younger actor and a younger actor is not necessarily going to be the most experienced. They might also be one of the finest actors in Wellington, Felix Crossley Pritchard. But but yeah, when you are um, creating space for uh, trans and non-binary performers particularly um, on stage, then uh, you you have a responsibility to be doing that in a safe and accessible way. But it also just is this really particular thing where even though theatre, live performance has so much more of an opportunity than, say, television or film to break ground with um, uh, gender representation and yet just doesn't. Like, (laughs) theatre and dance pieces don't have, you know, millions of dollars and a major studio scrutinising their every move. So why can't independent theatre makers and dance makers just go, well, all genders have a place on the stage? Um, I've been making Shakespeare for years and years and years, and why should... Why should characters in Shakespeare have a gender? You know, I, was just, like, these are I was just thinking about that too yeah. and about how, you know, not that I know much about Shakespeare, but my understanding is that um, different genders will play uh, different parts in Shakespeare. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But people get so wedded to older practices with Shakespeare. and Like the idea of like a gender flip where the four female characters in the script will be played by men and the 28 male characters in the script will be played by women. And it's like, yeah, that's what we're... Well, you're not actually telling an interesting story there. I find that a lot of the time that uh, quote-unquote women are playing quote-unquote men's characters, as a a woman who's an actress, I've never really played a a male character who has any kind of, like, sexual energy. (laughs) Women end up playing the male characters who are kind of bureaucratic or sexless or sort of lower down the food chain. And then if you say you're doing... Uh, Othello, as my friend Anya Upstill did years ago now, and cast a black woman to play Othello. And Anya, as a queer person, was just like, yep, Othello and Desdemona are lesbians now. And of course, you don't need to 
agonize over how do we do this? A woman and a woman, and they're married, they're lesbians. (laughs) It's fine. You don't have to go, "Mm, mm," but the intention, the intention. But it draws new intentions out of those plays, right? Exactly. And it keeps them alive and it keeps them dynamic. Uh, Although often when you have... um, uh, implications of sexual relationships between men in Shakespeare, um, then directors will go into this like hypersexualized space with it and not investigate the the romantic or the heart space, just totally investigate the hypersexualized space. So yeah, one of the things that I have the privilege to do as a person with a lot of experience in the theatre community is make work that gives work to uh gender non-conforming and transgender people um, without making it a whole hullabaloo about where do we where do we find the space, where do we find the stories. You make the stories, you put the stories on, and then audiences go and see the stories. Yeah. You can tell I care about this. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, otherwise what you get is that it's almost, there's a caricature and they caricature is is um just a throwaway mm-hmm. uh, which is which is kind of how we were used to seeing ourselves from you know for, for many years that yeah. was how um queer people you would see queer people on the screen either it was you know a larger than life caricature or mm. or um just a throwaway yeah um so so those making it into integral to the story means that that you know you actually have to have those stories and have those experiences and mm. and be able to speak to them um i think the other thing that i'd been that i'm kind of struck by by um probably your your multiple um is that um you know generally we we're, we're talking to people in rainbow mm. The, the rainbow community. Well, there is no the rainbow community, so no, there's no one group that can speak for the rainbow community. These are these are communities. Absolutely. Um, and I think those having having people from a different an entirely different rainbow community. So so, do you feel like you're you're Forming that community, or have been forming that community, or is it? Is it? Um, are you working with people as you find them, or or are you forming a community too? Oh, good question. I think that the um, the desire to form the community is at the forefront of my intention. Um, but it's also not for me. At the moment, I am making work that has trans and non-binary performers in it playing their own genders, um, but that's for the evolution of the art form, at least here, where I can make it, you know? Mm. I guess um, with Sapphic Lake, for example, yeah. as well, just, you know, the person that you brought last time, I know, mm. um, hadn't danced for years yeah, and yeah. really loved being involved with Sapphic Lake. Yeah, absolutely. And we also had a 18-year-old non-binary lesbian who had, hadn't danced since 
they were like maybe 13 because training in ballet as a child, getting to about 13 and they were starting to question about their gender and go, hold on, this doesn't feel good. Being a ballerina does not feel good to me and so stopped dancing. And then to, you know, five years later, have an opportunity to dance again, which was very overwhelming for them, but also to be in a to be in a space where you feel empowered to say, I'm not gonna wear that because it feels like shit on my body is really meaningful, you know, and yeah, I, and I actually really enjoy being in a room with people where we can go, right, okay, so who's got access to a binder? What colour, what colour is it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and that the stuff that we talk about and know about in rainbow communities is, doesn't need to be explained for, for the, um, for the newcomers, <laughs> I was going to say for the straight people, but I'll just say for the newcomers. <laughs> and, and the newcomers may not all be straight people. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, when you when you so when you're preparing it, who is the audience that's in your mind when you're preparing Oof. a piece like this? Alex, what do you yeah. think? I think, um, you know, there's always that desire to um, present fabulous um, queer or, or rainbow-themed work that um, can speak to all audiences and everyone can see that, you know, this tale that they think they know or like might have heard before will actually be fine if it's flipped on a, a different mm. um, take, like you say with Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, the world is not going to burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually fine and it's actually quite good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's also that thing about inviting um, queer communities into uh, the audience to see those works and have that representation and find the drive to explore that creativity for themselves. Mm, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think also the audience for here is quite um, quite a glorious mishmash because I think that the play itself will really appeal to fans of traditional uh, 20th century American drama. It's got so much, the text, the shape, the themes have so much in common with Edward Albee or Tennessee Williams or um, other names of white men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that, like... And that's what Taylor Mac, the playwright, that's what their kind of genius is, is that they have, because as an artist, Taylor Mac is very interested in America as a queer person. Um, and so it's got a lot of these sort of kitchen sink mm. tropes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very kind of Arthur Miller. There's a real sense of kind of, I, I, I've, come, I've come home and home isn't what it used to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a lot of layers to here as well in terms of the meta theatrics and stuff. Yeah, because it's, um, it's not set in a big city, is it? It's no. set somewhere in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In I mean, technically it's set on a landfill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Inside the house on a landfill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know, right? It's Every so time, messy, like it's yeah. emotionally messy and it's physically messy and it's it's just delightful. Every yeah. time in the runs that that gets to that bit of we are on the landfill, I'm always like, 
oh, that's right. Because yeah. there's a sense with hair as well that, like, you can almost smell it. <laughs> like, the house is a mess. They're on a landfill. Mm. And they're, like... Things are emanating. Yeah, things are emanating. Yeah, totally, totally. And for Isaac, uh, who's the the son that's coming home from the war where he's been in mortuary services in the Marines, so picking up bits of bodies for three years, um, to kind of walk into your house and your house doesn't smell the way it used to, you know the way you when you mm. get home from even it just like has a, a week smell. away. Yeah. Even I've had workplaces like that that yeah. I've left, and then when I go and back and revisit them, you can there's a certain smell. I don't know. It's something to do probably with the the synthetic carpet or something. Yeah, but as soon yeah. as you walk in, you know that that's that workplace that you spent you know five years. In yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And have that mm. taken away is so disconcerting. So mm. disconcerting. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can I ask a really dumb question? Please. <laughs> <laughs> As a, um, somebody who just very occasionally goes to plays, I guess I'm just curious about the mechanics of it. When um, when whoever it is starts to think about, for example, doing here, mm. do, they, do they watch a recording of it or do they read the script and just see it in their mind, basically, and think this is the script for me? Or how does it kind of come to be? Look, it could be any and all ways. Um, I know that Kathy McRae, who is directing this production of Here, saw it in Auckland and was very uh, attracted to the character of Paige, the mother, um, and wanted to do it her own way, which is one of the great things about being able to, uh, you know, work with work with text mm. is that you go, here's the way that it's usually done or here's the way I've seen it done or here's the way I've heard about it being done, but my instinct is to try this. And, um, yeah, so, you know, you might come across the play, you might read about it in, you know, you might read a Guardian review of a production overseas or something like that. Mm. Um and for the most part, people wanting to make theatre in Wellington uh, will go through a pitching process with either Circa or Bats. Um, and sometimes you do that just because you're going, I, I really want to do this. And if I get a if I get programmed, then I can start looking for funding. <laughs> <laughs> that womp womp was for my own attempts to get Creative New Zealand funding, not anyone else's. Um, and yeah, then you just sort of <laughs> run at it. <laughs> it's a very like high octane mm. industry, so really. So it can take a long time then to get something off the ground. I mean, I know that mm. the pandemic stopped this one from happening, but yeah. it sounds like the work started a long, long time before, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Two years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm oh. thinking about the pitching process. Right. So it was for it was programmed for May 2020. Mm. Kathy pitched. For it to circa in like I'm I'm guessing May or June 2019. Wow! Yeah, it's quite amazing, isn't it? That was yeah. a different world. It was a different world. It was a different world. Yeah, because yeah, I was working with Kathy on Burn Her at Circa by Sam Brooks in mid 2019, and Kathy and I were talking about it a lot because I I had written the program essay for the 2018 production in Auckland, which now three years later I'm rereading that essay and sort of rewriting it um, to for 
this for the Wellington audience and I'm going have I changed my mind about any of this and I think <laughs> there are some places where I have a little bit changed my mind about my perspective on things but it is just fascinating to kind of go this took us a while whereas mm. a show that Felix and I worked together on uh, end of last year The Slut Cracker I worked on that which I love by the way saying The Slut Cracker <laughs> I worked on that by myself with a, with some collaboration from my dear friend Salesi Leota for about six months before we started rehearsing it and then when we got into the rehearsal room on the first day I was like oh my god other people are here now this actually has to has to happen and four weeks later we were on stage wow four weeks a, later with a 40 wow. minute Gay ballet. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Funny how that happens. Funny how that happens. When you trust the process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we have some more music, Sue? I think we might. Um, this is Stealing All My Friends. I've got my bifocals on, so I'm just about tipping my head off to look at it. <laughs> it's Carly Hansen, and it's sounds like this. I've seen snow in August take our summer hostage But we loved it every time Putting life out on the line Beautiful and nauseous laughing from exhaustion And I couldn't help but cry I wish I could tell you why I remember when you turned your lights off We were laying, trying to figure out what we wrong You were too far gone Drugs keep stealing all my friends Stealing all my friends Stealing all my Drugs keep stealing all my friends Stealing all my friends Stealing all my friends, all my friends. I don't think I can take Everybody saw the signs And we missed them every time I wish you could answer your phone So we all didn't feel so alone Heaven knows if I had a choice I'd do anything to hear your voice I remember when you turned your lights off We were laying, trying to figure out what we want You were too far Jokes keep stealing all my friends, stealing all my friends, stealing all my Jokes keep stealing all my friends, stealing all my friends, stealing all my friends Jokes keep stealing all my friends, stealing all my friends, stealing all my Jokes keep stealing all my friends, stealing all my friends, stealing all my friends I don't think I can take
wrong button. And that was um, Carly Hansen um, stealing all my friends. And we, we were just talking about uh, a song that you'd heard on the on the yeah. way in. So maybe that's a little bit uh, similar to a, a song where you're the uh, not not straight friend of the person who's going through all sorts of train wrecks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the queer cushion. <laughs> Um, so, so a little bit on when when it's running and mm. where it's running and where people can get tickets and the big rush that's going to be open to people if we do go to Level 1. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would just say to all potential and current audience members, just remember to be kind to the box office staff because under these level changes, it's really, really tough to work in a theatre. There's a lot of contact that has to go on. But to book tickets to here, um, it's on at Circa Theatre, so you can go to circa.co.nz and find the page for here. Um, it, it opens on Saturday night. We've got a preview this coming Friday. Cheap tickets for the preview, thirty dollars. That's pretty good. Opening night, opening weekend, and I think first Tuesday as well. Uh, pretty well sold out, which is yeah. great. Mm. But um, I would just remind audiences that uh, actors don't just like to have an audience for the first night. They like to have an audience for all four weeks. So. <laughs> Book early and book often. Um, and yeah, it runs until the 6th of November, 9th yes. of October to the 6th of November. Shows mm-hmm. are at 6.30pm Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and 8pm Friday, Saturday, and 4pm on Sundays. Wow, so yeah. it's busy. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. Monday is the day off at, at Circa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Monday is the day where you recover and attempt to contact a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I'll be rushing out to get a ticket, yeah, actually, oh, and book my partner. And But I think that there are other tickets as well available for something that you're doing coming up on starting the 23rd. Yeah, um, me and that? one of my best friends, Johnny Potts, who's an amazing comedian and poet and writer, we have got a double bill of our solo shows. The double bill is called Live Through This. Johnny's show is called The Best Show in Town is at Your Place Every Night, and it's a walking tour of video stores in Wellington. It is one of the most heartbreaking, moving, stunning, poetic pieces of of kind of comic narrative. It's so, so beautiful. I love it. And then my show, which I think is all right, is called <laughs> Change Your Own Life. And that is a show about um, love, loss and survival. It's a autobiographical uh, I call it creative nonfiction, and it's about um, the deaths of some people close to me and my mm. own sort of journey through grief. Uh, yeah, and I think it's pretty good. I've had reviews that say things like, give Jean Sargent a Netflix special right now, which wow. as long as I don't have to do any work and just turn up, I'm fully open to that. I'm yeah. very um, devoted to lying down at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that opens on the 23rd at Circa and runs until the 13th of November, so please come and see that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, we while Johnny and I wrote those shows separately, thematically they've got a lot of crossover and I think that that's kind of testament to the fact that we've 
been such close friends for such a long time. So Johnny's one is, does that run first and then there's a break and then your one shows? That's exactly yeah, right. Both on. shows are about 40 minutes, mm-hmm. 40, 45 minutes. And solo shows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got some gorgeous design happening with our beautiful designers, Lucas Neal, who's also the set designer for here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bryn Tasker Poland is doing the lighting design and so they're bringing the two shows together. So the, mm-hmm. the night will feel like one cohesive show. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's, it's like a three for one. <laughs> I, I'm very much looking forward to it because that's going to be my yeah. little treat to myself oh. after here closes. Oh. Yeah. I think I'm not you, sick of the theatre by that. I think you can get a comp though, babe. <laughs> oh, yeah, but support the artist. Oh, oh. please. We'll just continue you passing the artist, $20 everyone. note between yeah. each other for the rest <laughs> of our lives. <laughs> I, I think you talked about that last time you were yeah. here, yeah. That, that, that we end up with... Um, you know, artists supporting artists, and yep. we and we need people who are outside of that community to also be there mm. and supporting artists. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, yeah. It sounds like there's quite an arc as you go through a process from from those first trying to get funding. <laughs> I've I've spotted this thing to when it when it closes. Yeah. Um. Once it's playing, how do you, how do you sustain through a through a period of playing because that's quite a long period that it's on isn't it yeah um, it's does it change as it's going through that period yeah I would say that performances and and the I mean the shows don't generally change very much but what happens the change that happens is within the performers themselves we're finding new points of connection between each other finding new jokes finding and and actually just bonding as a company can often change and enrich the process so while like say if you went to opening night you might get the like the adrenaline if you went halfway in the season uh and saw it again because you can go to theatre more than once, um, you might see some of the more connected stuff of it. Uh, and that's the beauty of, of the live arts is that it is a, an ever-changing beast. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It really takes a lot out of you. I mean, Felix, you're on stage for what, two hours? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm on stage, uh, I think, just... Yeah, the the least of, of the four, four of the four characters. Yeah, and yet it's still quite exhausting. Well, um, yeah. So I can't imagine how the other three are feeling by the end. Yeah. Of the, from what I've seen in the runs, it's quite tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there is that. Um, you have to factor in the human condition of doing a four week season. Is that opening night is full of adrenaline, and then there are changes along the way, and mm. they may be very small changes, but if you're looking for them, they may be very big changes. Yeah. It just depends on. Mm. You know, how it's quite dynamic between the, so so you know, and, and it's a dynamic process in that you're going through quite a long period, mm-hmm. and um, there's probably a bit of shifting of what what's important and what's meaning. But you also got quite a dynamic with a with an audience as well. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's kind of common yeah. to all. It's one of the luxuries that we have. If, with the glamour phones is that generally the audiences, they're not, you know, they get a couple of shots at this a year. Um, mm-hmm. It's got its own kind of atmosphere, but um, mm. but and when also, you're doing something... And I was just going to say, and also being at St Andrews, our audience is really close and you can yeah. sort of engage with them, with them a bit as well, which is really nice, yeah. yeah. Mm. One of the, the 
the principles that gets talked about when, especially when working with Shakespeare, but I think it actually applies to any text, is um, um, the four A's, actor, author, audience, architecture, and that those those four things have to be in interrelation. So you can't just be focusing on one of those relationships. If the actor is only focusing on the relationship to the author, they're missing the audience and they're missing the space that there is. They're not connected to that. And um, I think with a show like here that has this kind of heightened drama aspect to it, the relationship between actor and audience audience is quite porous mm. um, because that there's... It's the absurd realism. If it was just deep realism, then possibly the actors could go, well, we're hitting all of our beats and we can ignore the audience if they're not giving us mm. what we want to tonight. Yeah. But with a show like here, the the, the just sheer output of energy <laughs> from the actors kind of it fills that space. And so the audience should feel very much kind of carried along with them. Yeah, but that's exhausting. Yeah. Like, actors do a really really hard job yeah, really yeah it's, it's quite physical like and yeah emotional and mental and yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and uh, apologies for the for the segue and probably quite poor but one uh one of the um plays that you've been involved in that's seeking a new audience is sapphic lake right yeah my beautiful lesbian non-binary ballet sapphic lake we got to have our opening night and then a few hours after that we all went into level four um once we got back into level two we went back into the theatre with cinematographer Ed Davis who has filmed the ballet um, not static camera uh, filming but like dynamic cinematography of it and I've seen it it's so beautiful it's just so so stunning it's a really rich and delicious watch on screen. Um, so uh, digital tickets to that will be available soon. Um, we're just sort of doing a last couple of little bits of post-production. And, yeah, that's great. It means that people will get to see it and people all over the world will so, get to see it. Yeah, let us know what the address is and we can promote it on Quarter Bananas because awesome. we love talking to you about it in February, oh, March, you. I think it was. So, um, yeah, so send yeah. it through and I'm sure people will see it around everywhere yeah it'll, the tickets will be available um through bats.co.nz once ah, they're right. okay. yeah once they're live yeah mm-hmm. awesome I think we're getting to the end of our show. Is that I right, I think Sue? we might be. How many seconds have we got left? Well, it's hard to tell how many seconds we have left, but we're at 56 minutes. Ah, <laughs> so I'm there's not a little red thing to counting down. This, we haven't gone into the red yet. But <laughs> oh, well, that's good. I love this. Yeah. yeah this, is, this is what rules our lives, is how many seconds we have left. And, yeah. and the communication between the, the presenter and the tech, but am I showing the workings here a little bit? Too I, much? Yes. So, yes, I haven't gone into until it's gone into the red panic mode yet. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we've loved talking to, to both of you, Jean and Felix, So, and we really hope that the show goes really well, and I'm pretty sure Sue looks like she'll be interested in going. Yeah, I, I, think, I think I really need it after the listening... Listening over the last couple of weeks to the mm. um, to the mm. sub- submissions, I really, oh, yeah. I really just yeah. need. Yeah, we talked that. a bit about those last week when we were I, on. I kind of feel like I need it as a cleansing share. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. 
Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.